Well, friends, please stand for the reading of God's Word as we look at our final passage in the book of Colossians. Today we're going to land the plane, as it were, with the book of Colossians, and then next week we will pick up with the book of Philippians, and it's really not going to be long before we have Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. Jonathan, I guess we've got to get going here soon. So remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, I'm sorry, if he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. And may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Well, in the summer of 1790, the very first Congress of the United States was, dead, was hopelessly deadlocked on two critical issues, two issues around which they were at variance and they could not strike a compromise. First, James Madison and the southern states were pushing to move the nation's capital from New York City farther south, near Virginia, to an area that we understand as Washington, D.C. This idea had been flatly rejected by the North. They didn't want the capital going farther south. And second, the issue related to Alexander Hamilton and his and the Northern states' idea to create a national bank to pay off the debt of the states after the Revolutionary War. Southerners opposed this idea, fearing 
a strong, centralized national government. And so the first Congress was at loggerheads, and they could not find a way out until Thomas Jefferson invited Alexander Hamilton and James Madison to a dinner where Madison agreed that Southerners would not block legislation creating a national bank if Hamilton and the North would support the relocation of the capital from New York City farther south. It's now known as the Compromise, the Great Compromise of 1790, and it was hugely significant. Does anybody know why this meeting has become even more famous over the past seven years? Anybody familiar with pop culture, which I'm really not? Um, but what went on in that room has been made even more famous by a song from the Broadway musical Hamilton called what? The Room Where It Happens. Yes, we have some. Surely the Smiths know exactly, yes. Jenna, you know every word of that, don't you? You probably, yeah, you do. Oh. So in the musical, this song, The Room Where It Happens, it's from Aaron Burr's perspective, who was very much jealous of what went on in that room and what that room represented. Aaron Burr wishes that he would have had the privilege to be in the room where it happens, the room where big, significant, key decisions are made. That's where he wanted to be, the room where those kinds of things happen. Well, in our passage today, there is another room, a room where amazing and historical things happen, and that's the room that I wish I could have been in. And I think by the end, you'll agree with me, you wish you could have been there too. Okay, let's look at our text. Three things I want us to briefly look at today. This really does, these farewell greetings that Paul gives to the church at Colossae, it's amazing in that it gives us a behind-the-scenes view of how the earliest church was operating. Who was doing what? How would they do things? How would letters be read? Like we learned so much about the early church just from the farewell greetings from Colossians 4, 7 through 18. It's a picture of life in the early church, and in so it is very important for us. Number two, one person in particular here. So we're going to get the stories of 10 people very briefly, but there's a story behind the story that's very relevant and significant. So behind the scenes, we'll look at a story behind the story, and then we will see the room where it happens by the end. And trust me, it is going to blow you away when you realize what's, what's here. Okay, so this is Paul's farewell greetings. These are sections that, if you're like me, you often skip in your daily Bible reading. You know, you read through Colossians 4, 6, you feel like you're done. We don't need to know travel plans. We don't need to hear greetings. We're off to the next book. Unfortunately, that's how I often operate. But we're missing. We're missing some wonderful things when we do this because it's, this provides color, texture, background. A lot of these names people aren't aware of, but these people were crucial. They were integral to the existence of the early church. The first person that Paul mentions 
is a man by the name of Tychicus. Tychicus, to us, may not have the weight and gravitas of Paul or Luke or Mark or others, but Tychicus was every bit as important as those people in the early church. If, before I give, I wonder how much over lunch, before we talk about this, how much you would know about Tychicus, his role, his significance, what he did, who he was to Paul. Not many people know. Tychicus is what we call an apostolic delegate. Just like Timothy, just like Titus, that's the role that Tychicus played. So imagine in your mind's eye, Tychicus would have been Paul's courier. Not only here with the book of Colossians, the book of Philemon, the book of Ephesians, other letters, Tychicus was Paul's main man when it came to delivering letters to the various churches. Not only that, many scholars infer from what Paul writes that Tychicus, he would have read the letter. He would have been the first person to read Paul's letter to the Colossians. He would have explained what Paul meant when he wrote the letter, and he would have explained how Paul was doing, how things were going in Rome. He would have brought color and texture and background and news of the Christian world to this small Colossian community. In fact, at the end of Paul's life, in 2 Timothy, he wants two people to be with him in addition to the one person that has stayed with Paul to the end. Do you know who Paul asked to come to him at the very end of his life? 2 Timothy 4, last thing we know from Paul, he writes, he wants Timothy to come to him, and he wants Timothy to bring Mark. He says, only Luke is with me at the end. Okay? So he was sending Tychicus to Ephesus so that Timothy could come to him at Rome. So Paul gets released from this Roman imprisonment. He goes out on another missionary journey. Then he gets arrested again by Nero, and that's the end. So when he wants to give relief to Timothy, and he wants to put someone at the church at Ephesus that he would have full confidence in, he sends Tychicus. Extremely important man in the early church. Verses 7 and 8. Then in verse 9, we should be familiar with this person a little bit. Onesimus. Who is Onesimus? Remember, Onesimus was the runaway slave from whom? From Philemon. So what's fascinating about this is that Tychicus is delivering two letters. He's delivering Colossians. He's delivering Philemon to the same church. The church at Colossae met in Philemon's home. Who is Onesimus? Onesimus was Philemon's slave. Onesimus had run away. Onesimus had somehow found his way where? Does anybody know? You should know. I'm trying to keep you awake. Actually, I'm glad it's kind of cold in here. People look a little bit drowsy. This is exciting. This is fascinating historical background. This is the early church in action. Paul was sending Onesimus. Onesimus got converted. Somehow, Onesimus, he fled Philemon's house. He goes to Rome. He comes into contact with Paul. Onesimus gets converted. He's very helpful to Paul. Then Paul sends him back to Philemon 
as more than a slave as what? According to the book of Philemon. As a brother. More than a slave, now as an equal in Christ. So Onesimus is going with Tychicus. Look at what Paul writes about him in verse 9. Tychicus is coming with whom? With Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother. He says, who is one of you? He had come from Colossae to Rome where he got converted. And they, Tychicus and Onesimus, they will tell you everything that is happening here. Tychicus, very significant. Onesimus, very significant. Aristarchus, in verse 10, who is this person? This was Paul's faithful, beloved brother. Aristarchus is the kind of friend in the Christian faith who's going to be with you whatever happens in the thick of things. Aristarchus was converted when Paul was in Thessalonica, and he became a fellow co-worker with Paul in his missionary journeys. In fact, Aristarchus and Gaius were arrested after the riot in Ephesus in Acts 19. Okay, that's how committed they were to Paul. And then Aristarchus goes with Paul when he takes his gift to the church in Jerusalem in Acts 20, when Paul gets arrested in Acts 20, and then he's ultimately sent to Rome. Guess who goes with him? Guess who gets shipwrecked with him? Guess who suffers with Paul? Aristarchus. He calls him, even though Aristarchus probably was not actually a prisoner, this was a way of speaking. This is how loyal Aristarchus was in verse 10. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greeting. So Tychicus was with Paul. Onesimus was with Paul. Aristarchus was with Paul. Remember, what kind of arrest was Paul uh, experiencing in Rome? What kind was it? House arrest. So like we said, he is administrating. He is governing he is watching over the affairs of the church in Asia Minor, in Greece, in Rome. He's watching over the churches that he's planted. He can receive visitors. He can dispatch people. In verse 11, this is the only time this person is mentioned. Jesus called Justice. He was probably given the name or the title or the nickname Justice. They would say that that name disambiguated this Jesus from maybe another more famous Jesus. Jesus, who is called Justice, was there. Then our dear friend, you should know who this is. Who is Epaphras? If I was sitting with you in my office, could you tell me who Epaphras is? You should be able to. We talked about him a few weeks ago. What's Epaphras' significance to the church in Colossae? Epaphras planted the church in Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. They were all close to each other. When Paul spent a couple years in Ephesus, this is why, see, the beautiful thing is all of these pieces fit perfectly together in this beautiful puzzle that is the early church. Like if you read Colossians and Philemon and Philippians and Ephesians together, you cross-reference in the book of Acts it's incredible. It's one grand story. Epaphras was converted by Paul in Ephesus. After Epaphras gets converted, what does he want to do? He wants to go home and share Christ. 
with his family and his people. Epaphras plants the church, Colossae, Laodicea, Hierapolis. Look at him in verses 12 through 13. Now, this is interesting. I think the people are not, not 100% happy with Epaphras. Why might that be? Look with me at verses 12 and 13, our friend Epaphras. So Epaphras is obviously now, when this letter is dispatched, where is Epaphras? So I want to make sure you're listening. Where is Epaphras? He's in Rome. He's with Paul. Okay, he sends his greeting. He was the church planter. He's not at the church that he planted. Verses 10, I'm sorry, verses 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, he sends his greeting. What does Paul say? He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Look at verse 13. He doesn't have to do this for anyone else in the same way. What does he say about Epaphras? I vouch for him. Isn't that an interesting way of describing someone? I vouch for him, that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. He doesn't say that he has to vouch for Aristarchus or Tychicus. Why does he have to vouch for Epaphras? Epaphras was probably in Rome getting further training by Paul. Perhaps Epaphras was doing something, trying to provide support for the churches in Colossae or Laodicea or Hierapolis. But he's saying, look, he's not with you. I know that you guys are struggling. He's with me. He's praying for you. He's working hard for you. I can vouch for him. I think he was probably being a tri a equipped for further ministry. Demas, there's a stigma to Demas. Do you know why? That's right. Mrs. Heath, she got it. At the end of Paul's life, he says that Demas who's mentioned here, had what? Deserted him because of his love for the world. At the very end of Paul's not life, when he needed him most, Demas left. Paul knew what pain and hurt and abandonment felt like. Imagine being like Paul knew, Paul knew the end of his life was coming. One of his dearest associates, Demas, abandons him. Can you imagine this man was acquainted with the sufferings of Jesus in almost every imaginable way. Look at verse 7. It's not just men here. This is interesting. We learn a lot about the early church through Nympha in verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. So in the early church, they didn't have beautiful buildings like this or Northwest Bible or Watermark, or Park City's Baptist, these gorgeous, wonderful sanctuaries, they weren't a thing then. Where were early Christians meeting? They were meeting in people's homes, often persecuted. So Philemon was the patron and host of the church in Colossae. Nympha is the patron and host of the church in Laodicea. Mark's mother hosted a church in Jerusalem. And I'll say this, you see the gift of the saints all working together. Obviously, not everybody can be Paul. Not everybody can be Luke. Some people are Tychicus. 
or Aristarchus. Here we have Nympha or Philemon that are doing incredible work for the church. The ways that you support our church with your prayers, with your gifts, with your service, it means everything. Your gifts are integral to the survival and the thriving of Providence Presbyterian Church. All these people here working together. Look at Archippus. I resonate with Archippus. I think this is kind of interesting. Who might we infer Archippus to be? Let's look at what Paul says there. Is it kind of a... Does he kind of chasten Archippus a little bit in verse 17? Does he kind of call Archippus out a little bit? Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. See if you can follow this math. When you read this alongside Philemon, the church in Colossae was meeting in Philemon's home and in the home of Archippus. Scholars think Archippus is Philemon's son. Scholars think Epaphras leaves, goes back to Rome. There's Archippus, the son of Philemon. He gets set apart to shepherd this church, maybe willingly or unwillingly. I don't know. Perhaps Archippus is wondering why he volunteered or agreed to do this. Um, I'll tell you a funny story if I've not told you this before. Ronnie Rowe, one of our beloved assistant pastors, who went to Lubbock, and now he's in Memphis of all places. Ronnie Rowe has transitioned to be an assistant pastor at a wonderful church in Memphis. So um, when we would have particularly difficult weeks, Ronnie Rowe said, have you ever noticed what's advertised in the back of World Magazine? And I said, no, what's advertised in the back of World Magazine? He said, chicken farms are advertised in the back of World Magazine. I'm like, why are chicken farms advertised in the back of the magazine? He says, well, it's for ministers after they quit so they can start their own business. <laughs> it's a self-sustaining business, these chicken farms. And so whenever we would have a hard week, he'd say, how are you doing? I'd say, I'm going to the chicken farm, baby. <laughs> Stephanie, you could have been a farmer for a chicken farm. Maybe we shouldn't think about that. I don't know. I can relate to Archippus. I don't know. Maybe the rigors of ministry were hard for Archippus. Paul tells him, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. Archippus, I know it's hard. Stay faithful. I've saved the two more well-known people for last in this section. Luke. Who is Luke? How do we know that Luke was a physician? It's here. It's in this text. The only reason that we refer and understand and love Luke the physician is because of this text in verse 14. Our dear friend Luke the doctor, he sends his greetings. Luke was probably saved on Paul's second missionary journey. If you read the book of Acts, this is fascinating. There's a pronoun shift in the book of Acts from what they were doing all of a sudden out of nowhere to we did this and we did that and we went there. And in the book of Acts, that's when Luke was converted. 
and Luke joins the team, and he might have been Paul's personal physician. We know what he did later writing Luke and Acts. There's our beloved friend Paul, I mean Luke, who stuck with Paul to the very end. Last but not least, this is the story behind the story. Notice this. Again, all of these little details hidden in plain sight. Notice what is said about Mark here. This is Mark, the writer of the Gospel of Mark. This is John Mark. Okay? Mark, what did Mark do in Acts 13? Does anybody remember? So, Paul and Barnabas go on the first missionary journey. Mark goes with them. For reasons we don't understand, Mark abandons the team. Mark goes back to Jerusalem. That did not go over well with Paul. Did not sit well with Paul. When it's time for the second missionary journey, Barnabas, who's a cousin with Mark, wants to take Mark with him. What did Paul say? No. Luke says, quote, there was a sharp dispute between Paul and Barnabas. And Paul wouldn't let him go. The dispute was so sharp and so intense that Paul took Silas and he went to go visit the churches that had been planted and Barnabas took Mark and they went to Cyprus. Okay, and then the rest of Acts. Who does Acts focus on? Paul and Silas and others. And you don't hear anything about Barnabas and Mark really until here. This is like 13, 15 years later, and who's with Paul? Mark. Who does Paul ask for at the end of his life? Send Mark. He is very useful to me. Who did not give up on Mark in the beginning? Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Loved Mark, supported Mark, helped Mark. And because of Barnabas' actions, Mark had a massive impact, not only in Paul's life, but in all of our lives. The story behind the story. Don't ever give up on people. Don't ever turn your back on somebody. Don't ever assume that someone won't come to faith or won't grow. Leave the light on for people. Love people. Barnabas loved Mark. Paul reconciled with Mark. Mark did great things. Last thing that's just mind-blowing to me. All right, let's go. Let's go to the room where it happens. Let's land the plane. Do you understand what was in that room when Paul sent this letter? Do you understand that 60% of the New Testament was in that room with Paul when he sent off these letters? Who's in that room? The room where these things happened and where these letters were sent. Who was there with Paul? Luke and Mark. Luke wrote more of the New Testament in terms of word count than anyone else. Luke, by himself, wrote 27% of the New Testament. Paul wrote 23%. If you ascribe Hebrews to him, like associate Hebrews with Paul... Paul's responsible for 27%. What about Mark? How much did Mark write? 8%. Think of who was in that room together. Paul and Luke and Mark. 
What gives you goosebumps is when scholars think Mark was written and Luke was written. Most scholars date Mark and Luke to the early 60s A.D. When was Colossians written? Early 60s A.D. What does Luke rely on? When he writes his gospel, the gospel of Luke, he is largely relying on what? The gospel of Mark. Can you imagine what that must have been like? The collaboration between those three men, the Apostle Paul, his assistant Luke, and John Mark, all there together, writing what we understand to be most of the New Testament. And look at how the New Testament circulated and was composed. Look with me at verse 16. We are the beneficiaries of the Holy Spirit's work in the lives of these men and women. Look at verse 16. Like people think, because of the Da Vinci Code, sometimes the popular view is that the Bible was not established until Constantine in the mid-fourth century. Nothing could be farther from the truth. We are reading or watching the establishment of the New Testament in this book. Look at verse 16. The church at Colossae, this was the first letter they had ever received, most likely. We have 27 books and virtually any translation that you want. This was the first book of the New Testament, as we understand it, that they ever got. Look with me, verse 16. After this letter, the Colossian letter, after Colossians has been read to you, see it, see that in verse 16, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. This is how it would go. What are these 27 books that we have in the New Testament? They were either written by an apostle or by an associate of an apostle. The way we get our 27 books of the New Testament is these letters by Paul, 13 letters by Paul, the four Gospels, the letters of Peter and John, the book of Hebrews, these were all circulating all over the Roman Empire. And so you might travel to one place, and you're like, well, what do you have? Well, we have the four Gospels. And then you would transcribe those, and you would take copies of those with you. There's not some mysterious process. These were the books that went back to the apostles, to the eyewitnesses of the life and ministry of Jesus and the early church, and they have been handed down for you and me. And it's incredible. Friends, this is the room where it happened. Where most of our New Testament was influenced and shaped in this room with Paul and Mark and Luke. And the Holy Spirit has been so faithful and so gracious to allow the church to have access to the 27 letters of the New Testament. It's such a privilege, such a delight to see the early church in action. But I'll end with this. Do you think any of them understood exactly what was going on at the time? 
Do you think they understood the significance and the magnitude, the ways that they would shape the church for millennia? I don't think they had a clue the magnitude and the significance of what was happening. But the same thing is happening in our day. Okay, and the book of Acts and these things are continuing today in our context. What is your place in this great story? Who do you resonate with in terms of these greetings? How can you be found faithful with the gifts that Jesus has given to you? We just received new members today. It is our privilege and delight to live out in our context what they were living out in theirs. The church that is Providence Presbyterian Church. May God use you and me to be a blessing in this church. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for these farewell greetings for these men, for these women that were used by you and the power of your Holy Spirit to shape and guide, to inform, to lead, to establish the early church. Father, truly, we are the beneficiaries of the faithful ministry of these people, of Philemon and Nympha and Aristarchus and Archippus and Epaphras and Onesimus and Tychicus, and Paul, and Luke, and Mark. Father, use us in no less significant ways in our time as you did for them and theirs. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.